please be seated. A lot of things went right on Earth to have uh, yielded complex life, absolutely. The number of factors that have been postulated um, has grown. Currently, the typical number you would see is, in a typical list, would have something like 20. We find that we need to be at the right location in the galaxy, that we're inside the circumstellar habitable zone of a star, that we're in a planetary system with giant planets that can shield the inner planets from too many comet impacts that we're orbiting the right kind of star that's not too cool or not too hot, that we're on a planet that has a moon that can stabilize the tilt of its axis, that we're on a planet that's a terrestrial planet, a planet that has a crust that's just thick enough that it can maintain plate tectonic activity, that has enough heat in its interior that it's still circulating its liquid iron core so it can generate a magnetic field, that it has an atmosphere that has enough oxygen to allow for complex organisms to survive, that has enough water and enough continents to allow for the diversity of life or an active biosphere that we need to support complex creatures such as ourselves. All these factors have to be met at one place and time in the galaxy if you're going to have a planet as habitable as the Earth, which you need for complex and even technological life. In an attempt to estimate the probability of attaining this combination of factors simultaneously, some researchers have developed equations assigning a conservative 1 in 10 value to each factor deemed necessary for advanced life. If every element has to be there at the same time, you have to multiply the probabilities. And that's what makes the probability at the end so small. You've got 10% of this and 10% of that. And these things rapidly multiply to exceedingly small numbers. The numbers on the order of 10 to minus 15, which is 1 1,000th of 1 1 trillion. And it's a number like that that you have to compare to the 100 billion stars that are in the galaxy. 100 billion is a very large number, but a thousandth of a trillion is much, much smaller. On their face value, these probabilities are speaking. What they're telling us is this can't happen, or this is very unlikely to happen in the galaxy. And that's where the evidence is pushing us. There are many probabilistic resources in the galaxy, but on the other side of the coin, are all these factors that you need. You have to get just right in order to have just one habitable planet like the Earth. And that leads me to conclude that yes, we're rare in the galaxy.
And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, and it was so. God created two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser night to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water and the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that moved on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, 
because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Before the creation of the universe, there was no time as we know it today. In our world, time is measured by the revolution of our Earth and its orbit around the sun. We measure time by wavelengths of sound, light, and energy. Before this, what was there? We haven't a clue. We haven't a clue. But we do know that there was a beginning. Evidence shows that the entire universe emerged from a dimensionless point of pure energy. And in less than a second, the universe inflated in what we now call the Big Bang, forming the entire universe with all its components. The universe continues to expand even today. Now, over the last 600 years, which is really not very long, the smartest people on Earth have moved from the Earth is flat to the Big Bang universe. And when all is said and done, we really don't know very much. And no one was there at the beginning except God. So there were no eyewitnesses. But certain discoveries give us clues as to what happened and how it happened. It's a good thing to try to discover what happened and how it happened. Science is almost always about what and how. What happened and how did it happen? Was the universe created in seven milliseconds or seven minutes? Was the earth formed in seven literal days or 7,000 years or seven million years? And how did God do it? As we study the Bible, especially the book of Genesis, we get sidetracked to ask questions the author of Genesis never asked. And while we obsess with the what and how, the writer of Genesis asks who and why. Who did all this and who created the heavens and the earth and why did he do it? Gordon Winham writes, though historical and scientific questions may be uppermost in our minds, it is doubtful whether they were in the writer's minds. And we should therefore be cautious about looking for answers to questions he was not concerned with. Many problems are caused by misunderstanding the original intentions of Genesis. We must read and study Genesis on its own terms, not on ours. This is not a science, biology, physics, or astronomy study, but it's a series on theology. It's about God. In order to understand our Christian faith, we must start with and understand and believe Genesis. We cannot truly make sense of any of the rest of the Bible, including and especially the New Testament, without understanding Genesis. Now, this weekly study will take us through the spring. And today we begin this series, This Is Us, The Beginning. The beginning. Now let's start with, so we're going to do some background today. Let's start today with some guiding principles. Some guiding principles. First of all, letter A, Genesis is a book of origins. It's a book of beginnings, a book of origins. It's the origin of the universe, 
the origin of the earth. It's the origin of complex life forms. It's the origin of mankind or people. It's the origin of marriage. It's the origin of sin. It's the origin of death, both physical death and spiritual death. It's the beginning of redemption. It's the introduction to judgment. It's the origin of covenant relationship that was established between God and his creation. And it's the origin of eternal life. Very important, the beginning of eternal life. In order to understand the rest of the Old Testament, we must understand Genesis. In order to understand the New Testament, we must understand Genesis and believe it. Genesis is a book of origins. Secondly, letter B, Genesis is God-centered. God-centered. Now, although Genesis is about creation and man, and we entitled a series, This Is Us, the emphasis really should rest squarely on, on God. It's not about what God created as much as on the God of creation. The God who created in the beginning, God. So it all starts. Thirdly, Genesis, letter C, is not about what and how, but who and why. It's not about what and how, but who and why. God did it, but why did he? Is there a purpose? Is there a purpose? Discovering a purpose or plan behind life is crucial for the discovery of the meaning of life, the meaning of life. Are we random acts of chance? Or are we created persons of purpose? Our study will come to some very de definitive conclusions. Well, let's look at the parts of chapter one. Parts of chapter one, simply two parts. First of all, it's, excuse me, let me do this again. First of all, it's the beginning, letter A. Other than the fact that there was a beginning, Genesis is silent on the issue of time in verses one and two. It says, God created the heavens, plural, and the earth, singular. We saw in the opening video how incredible the earth is. We saw in Privileged Planet that our earth holds some very unique place in our solar system, our galaxy, probably in our entire universe. And verse 2 says the Spirit of God hovered, or brooded like a, a mother hen broods over an egg. The earth had the undivided, focused attention of the God who started it all. So it was special, it was planned, not accidental, and it wasn't random. That's the first part. Then there's the second part, which are the days of creation. The days of creation. Let's start with questions of what? Questions of what? It is always the big question of what? Was there a big gap in millions or billions of years between verses 2 and 3? Between verse 2 and 3, was there, was there a big gap? Was verse 3 the continuation of a new phase? Now, we don't know. It's, it's okay to admit some things that we don't know, okay? We're not going to find all the answers. We have a pretty good understanding of light and darkness. The earth rotates on its axis and we have day and night. Pretty easy to understand that. We understand atmosphere and, and firmament, seas and continents. We understand vegetation and plant and animal life. But how long was a day? <laughs> That's, everybody always says, well, how long was that, that day? Now this question 
was never an issue until the proponents of rationalism and something called the historical critical method was used in approaching the biblical text, a text and used it to examine the accuracy of Genesis. Now, if one believes in the theory of evolution, it appears that each of these processes, days, took millions of years, and perhaps then the Bible is mistaken in its interpretation. Well, this originated, it was just part of the attack on inerrancy and the authority of the Bible that was called the Word of God. Uh, and we believe in the inerrancy and authority of the Word of God, the inerrancy in the original writings or autographs. When we approached this from a rationalism or historical criticism, it, it was approaching the Bible from skepticism, not belief, from doubt, not faith. Okay, uh, we don't have time to go into all of that. Some of you have, have studied that and had that in different times in your background. The scholars and students have spent a lot of time deconstructing biblical texts, but no time in reconstructing the text. And that's one of the issues I have with the deconstruction and the uh, historical critical methods and all those other things. They never take time to put things back together. Humpty Dumpty fell apart, but they never put Humpty Dumpty back together. That's kind of what happens. So what is the greatest sin of the Bible? We look at that. The greatest sin is unbelief. Unbelief. And the, the reason that mainline denominations now have forsaken the, the uh, inerrancy of Scripture and many of the biblical mandates of Scripture is because they left this and they approached it from uh, years of unbelief. Unbelief as they approach the Bible as skeptics, doubters, and judges. These have elevated human reason over all scriptures and diminished it to say, and I've heard this said, maybe you have too, the Bible contains the Word of God. The Bible contains the Word of God. If the Bible merely contains the Word of God and is not itself the Word of God, where does that leave us? Who, who decides that? We end up with the age-old problem that everyone does what is right in his own eyes because we all take our own reason and raise it over Scripture and say, well, you know, I, I, that doesn't make sense to me, and I think this, and I think that. Should we ask questions? Absolutely, but we must ask the right questions. One of the, one of the right questions that's very important to ask is, what was Jesus' view of the Bible? I only ask people, say, you know, there are a lot of views of Scripture, a lot of views of the Bible. You know, we elevate Jesus. Well, what was Jesus' view of the Bible? The Old and eventually the New Testaments. In Matthew 5.15, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not a least stroke of a pen will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus had a very high view of the inerrancy of the Scripture. In Matthew 12, 40, it says, For as Jonah was three nights and days in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He used this, this fable, as some people think it is, uh, of Jonah in the belly of the big fish. He stated it as fact. He, and, and you can go through all kinds of things where Jesus' view of Scripture was very high. He believed in the inerrancy and authority of Scripture. This, this, this passage on Jonah basically was predicting his own death and resurrection. Pretty cool. So what questions? Sometimes we ask the wrong questions. But that said, what about the word day? Because everybody wants to know about the word day. Okay? What about the word day? There are three major opinions of the word day when it says days. One is it means an eon of time. Uh, it could be thousands or millions of years. 
possible. Some believe it's a 24-hour period. 24-hour period. Because it says there's a morning and evening of every day. Does that make sense? And, and let me just say this, and you'll see where I come. Certainly if God can create the universe from nothing in less than a second, if he speaks, he can do what is written in a 24-hour time period, okay? You know, easy. Did he? We don't know. Could he? Absolutely. Does it matter? No. No. Doesn't matter. The third possibility, the day is a length of time. The words evening to morning denote chaos to order. Again, we do not know yet. Okay, I'm just saying, yeah, someday we'll know, yeah. But it does not matter since the primary questions are not what exactly happened, but it's who did it. Now, I personally come down on the 24-hour period because it says morning and evening. And there will be people here that disagree with that. That's fine. You can still go to heaven and not agree with me. That's okay. But that's, that's where I come down, just so you know. But that's not what the writer was trying to tell of what he was trying to tell who and why. So let's look at the question of who, number two. The entire Bible, not just Genesis, tells us who created the heavens and the earth. Very important, it's who. Okay? Isaiah 45, 12 says, It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. Psalm 33, 6 and 9 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. All evidence always points to the fact that there was an intelligent designer. But basically, the question of who is it was God. God who created it. By the way, all this, all this fear and nonsense about Climate change, you've got 12 years, otherwise we're going to all die. Um, just remember what God said after the rainbow came out after Noah. He said, seed time and harvest and the seasons will continue till the end of time. Now, we're to take good care of our planet, but, you know, this nonsense of we're going to, it's going to end. By the way, there are 10 major predictions since 1970 about the end of the earth within 10 years. If you, want, if you want to look that up, go look. I posted it on my Twitter. You can see the 10 major predictions. Uh, it was first global cooling. We we're going to enter this ice age. Okay? And then it didn't happen. So they said, oh, I guess we're going to go to global warming. Then that didn't really... So they said, well, let's call it climate change. Okay. Uh, I, just, just take that with a grain of salt. It's humanism disguised as science. Okay? It's not science. God created it. He's going to keep it going. Okay? Just saying. That's not in my notes. I don't know where that came from. We have an intelligent designer. And who that designer is is a matter of faith. Now, let's look at next, number three, the lessons about God. What do we learn about God? First of all, first of all letter A, God is the center of the universe. I am not. Okay? That should you know, just kind of put humanists on notice. We're not the center of the universe. God is the center of the universe. Colossians 1, 15 to 17 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And this is a description of Jesus Christ 
God's Son. The reason people matter to God is because God places value on people. Now, we're going to see that next Sunday. But God is the center of the universe. Just saying. So you know. Secondly, letter B, God started it all. God started it all. In the beginning, God. Now, why is it important that God started it all? Because we can examine then how he interacts with his creation, what he revealed to them about himself. Whenever people try to figure out God on their own, the result is, is God made in the image of man. We create our own God. But when people are open to God revealing himself, it's amazing what we discover. What are some of the results of that? Number one, he always existed. We always, he always existed. When we think about the beginning of the universe, it kind of bends your mind. Because you, you say, God always existed. Now, I, I have a hard time remembering the beginning of all types of things, okay? Um, um, how many of you remember your birth? How many of you remember your birthday? Anybody? Your spouse's, your kid's birthday? Yeah, okay. We remember our birthday. But we, we all had a beginning, Okay. Um, it was kind of interesting for me when I was, I was getting ready to go overseas a, on a trip uh, as, a, as a sponsor uh, of, of our, one of our kids' high school classes and discovered my, I, I didn't have a current passport and I was trying to find something. And so, and, and I had a birth certificate from, I was born in Japan and, and I had a birth certificate that wasn't qualified. It just, it didn't qualify. And so they sent me to the special window. I had to go to the special window. So I go to the special window, and the lady, she was kind of funny. She said, well, uh, we know you're, you were born because you're here. I said, oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. She said, we know also that you, in order to get back into the States from Japan when you were born there, you had to be on a passport, a family passport or something. And something. So you were born, and you have had a passport somewhere. And she said, the easiest way to do this is to find one of those passports from your family when you came over. And sure enough, I went back and we found baby, one was a baby picture and one was a little bit older with my family. So I found out I was born. I did have a beginning, but it was kind of interesting. I don't remember my beginning, but, but you know, that was, that was something else. We don't remember very much. How many of you remember your wedding? You better put your hand up, guys. Okay. How many of you remembered your wedding anniversary this year? Okay. My hand's up. My hand's up. Just making sure. Um, how many forgot? <laughs> Nobody's going to admit that. Okay. okay, that's okay. How many remember the beginning of your marriage? Okay, good. I, I, I hope we all do that. Everything we know has a beginning. There's a beginning for everything. It's, it it, it kind of freaks us out when we think that God didn't have a beginning. Okay? But everything has a, be a beginning. Look at this building, for instance. The architect had an idea in his head. He drew plans on paper. They surveyed the site. They applied for permits. And those of you that are in the building trade know that it, when, when it comes to permits, um, one day is like a thousand years in the eyes of the inspector. But that's, that's a different thing. Um, site preparation. There's the foundation laid, the walls up, the roof, etc. There was a beginning for this building. Everything and everyone has a beginning except God. God always existed. We learned that here. Secondly, 
God started it all because God is self-sufficient. God is self-sufficient. What did God do before creating the universe? You ever ask that? Kind of hang out? What, what was he doing? Did he need to create the heavens and earth to find himself, to, to prove something? You know, you, I, yeah, I don't know if you ever asked those questions. Why? What did he do before? Why did he, why, why did he do all of this? Now, if you ask people, tell me about yourself, you'll, you'll receive different answers. Hey, tell me about yourself. Typically, men will talk about their jobs, what they do, okay? Others, typically women, will often talk about their relationships, their children, friends, or family, etc. Grandparents will always talk about one thing, the grandkids. Isn't that true? Stuart Briscoe writes, our identity is discovered and displayed in terms of relationships and activities. This has led some people to assume that God created the world's to prove something to himself, to, to make it possible to have relationships to complete his personhood. I don't know if you've ever heard that. God needed to create people because he wanted to be a complete person. If God had not created, he would be no less of a being than he is now. God did not have to create to feel good or to discover his identity. God is completely self-sufficient. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are complete. They need Nothing. So let's put that to rest. God is totally self-sufficient. And, and I, I would say this, is I need a God that doesn't need anything from me. A totally self-sufficient God so that all his actions are, are out of love for his creation for you and me. If, if God needed us, he would have to compromise his righteousness or truth or holiness or perfection or justice or something to please us. We don't have that kind of a God. We don't have a compromising God. We have a self-sufficient God. Now, what he did before, as he was always in existence, and why, we, you know, we, we don't know. It's okay. It's okay. We don't know all the answers, and that's all right. Number three, self-determination is self-determination. The idea to create was God's alone and only his. Isaiah 40, 13 says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Revelation 4, 11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God is at the center of the universe. I am not. God started it all. And thirdly, let us see what God speaks happens. What God speaks happens. Ten times in Genesis 1 it says, and God said. It said, let there be, it says eight times, it was so seven times. When God speaks, happens. It just happens. Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand that the, the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Isn't that cool? He just speaks invisible. It just came out of nowhere. He just spoke it and it became reality. God speaks and it happens. And Jesus demonstrated that time and again. He spoke to disease and sickness and commanded that to be gone. He'd bring health and wellness to people just by his speaking. He spoke to demons who had to flee. And when they were just about turned over and, and wrecked in the middle of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, said, even the wind and the waves obey him when he called the storms. Yeah, he speaks and it happens. Now, few of us have that kind of power. 
even at home. The man who says he's the king of his castle will usually lie about other things as well. But when God speaks, it's done. It's never mentioned what material God created it out of, but it's implied here, and in Psalm 148.5, said, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. It's amazing. He commanded and they were created. We won't take time to look at it. If you want to read Proverbs 8, 22-27, look at that on your own time. God created out of nothing. Out of nothing. God speaks it into existence and created from nothing. Letter D, God has an established plan and a purpose. God has an established plan and a purpose. All throughout Genesis 1, we see chaos to order. We see nothing to something. There's a purpose. There's, there's a plan. There's a design. There's a consistent thread of purpose. Genesis all the way through Revelation. See, there are physical laws that govern physical universe. We know and understand some of them. And they're consistent not only on earth, but physicists will tell us these physical laws are consistent throughout the universe. Elements, compounds, light rays, gravity, there are all kinds of physical laws. And the same way as we discover, in addition to physical laws that govern the physical universe, there are spiritual laws governing our relationship with God and our fellow human beings. He established this covenant relationship. He established the Ten Commandments, which Jesus when asked, what is the greatest commandment? He summed it up by saying, the law is summed up in one simple phrase. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Establishment of relationship. There was a purpose. Basically, he says, love God, love people. Recognize that? Okay, just, just look under your program. Live in harmony with God first, live in harmony with people. It's simple, but very, very hard. <laughs> but simple things are not always easy. It's very hard. Spiritual laws. God established order. He established truth, and he established morality. These are all parts of his creation that he established. It's part of his plan. Letter E, we are accountable to God for his revelation. We're accountable to God for his revelation. We are responsible to take action on God's revelation. He revealed order, he revealed truth, and he revealed morality. And we know, we know all those things, and, and it's, it's up to us to respond and take action on that. We are now accountable. And finally, letter F, what God does is good. What God does is good. Seven times in Genesis 1 it says, God saw that it was good. And all you have to do is look around, look around the state of Wisconsin, the trees, the hills. Look at other places at mountains. Look at the lakes. Look at beaches. Look at plains and plants and flowers and animals. All was created good. It was all created. He, he says he looked at all of it and said it is very good. Only people have kind of polluted, damaged, or degraded God's creation. And people, too, were created sinless, perfect, and good. This is us. And we'll see over the next weeks how that changed. We're going to see how God, the ever-seeking, pursuing, loving God, 
reaches down to redeem his creation, especially people, because he is good and he can make it good again. This is us, the beginning, the story of how it all began. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a record. And we don't know everything about what. We just know who. And we're learning how to understand the why. And I pray, God, as we move on forward, that we would just learn so much from this book of Genesis. It's so important. And I pray, God, that you would transform our lives as we just get to know you, God, better, because this is all about you. And that you would transform our lives through this time. Let's stand.